You are now listening to the High Def Performance Podcast, hosted by Mitch Harb and Zach Smith. All right, we're back with the High Def Performance Podcast. We've got a very special guest today. Dr. Henry Pelto goes by Hank Pelto. He's a former University of Washington t- uh, team physician and associate professor. Currently practicing sports med at Virginia Mason, Dr. Pelt was also the medical director and team physician with the Seattle Kraken and your Seattle Mariners. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Pelto. Thanks for having me, guys. Really excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, first question, because I know it's what everyone's going to ask. How did you become the team doc for the Mariners and the Kraken and what made you want to go down that route? Uh, great question. Common one for sure. I guess I'll just tell you my path, which I think explains it as well as I possibly can. So I was a went to medical school, really not knowing what I wanted to go into. Like cardiology was an interest of mine, but past, you know, I, I kind of went in pretty eyes wide open just to the experience of different rotations and things. Early in my medical school career, I had a kind of preceptorship with a family medicine doctor, which was completely random, just happened to be that way, who I met up with. And really resonated with uh, her and her approach to patient care and uh, how she saw family. I remember one day very vividly where we saw like two kids, a mom and a grandma kind of in the same hallway at the, all at the same time. And just the way she approached it, took care of people as a family or took care of the kind of individuals, but also these family units and really um, uh, resonated with me and, and was kind of my path into family medicine. So I liked every, and the other piece which is often a family medicine characteristic is you kind of like a little bit of everything you do uh, through the course of rotations and stuff. So I ended up uh, going into family medicine and residency at, uh, and came back to the University of Washington to do that intention. My initial intent was to be a general practice, academic family medicine uh, type of person. Um, and then one of the rotations that we did as part of our uh, curriculum and residency was with our sports medicine group. And uh, it's a legend, relatively legendary, I guess, group at the University of Washington uh, for sports, for primary care sports medicine. So I guess ultimately well, part of my story is I'm a primary care sports doc and um really loved my rotation with them and uh, applying kind of the, the principles of family medicine, uh, the way you can take care of patients, the approach to patient care, uh, to more specific, or, you know, orthopedic sports medicine, broadly defined problems. So that was my first kind of intro really resonated, resonated with me. I remember my wife saying when I got home one day, it's like, you're a little less grumpy this month than you have <laughs> previous months. And so that was a nice trigger to hear on the outside too. So started working with that group more and more. Um, and it went well, it went great. And I started as a part of that, then kind of getting invited or inviting myself to probably is more accurate to uh, some of the team coverage and uh, some of those opportunities, training room opportunities and that kind of thing that they did a lot. And that was even another level of just connection for me. Um, I just loved the athletes themselves, but frankly, you know, even more so probably just the, the whole um, environment in which they exist, right? Coaches and support staff, medical staff around them and how that group all comes together to support um, athletes in, in any circumstance, in any sport. And um, that's really what ended up kind of being a driving passion for me. Uh, I ended up doing a fellowship with that same group at University of Washington Primary Care Sports Medicine. And then I was lucky enough to stay on and work with them uh, afterwards. So since then, my time has really been split kind of between clinical sports medicine, seeing you know, mostly non-operative 
of orthopedics, some uh, cardiology stuff, some concussion stuff, and then team care. And so I was uh, one of the team docs for the uh, Huskies, as you mentioned, initially took care of the women's basketball team and men's soccer team, and then eventually took care of the rowing teams and uh, got to help out with the football teams as well. And so uh, that path was there. I was there for about seven years. Um, it was awesome. I started to get invited and asked to do some uh, coverage for the Mariners, just kind of game coverage. And that evolved into a little bit of a broader role with them. And then um, when the Kraken came to town, they were looking for a primary care or a whole medical team, I guess. And um, one of the uh, biggest needs they had was a medical director and a, and a primary care sports medicine person. And so uh, threw my hat in the ring and um, was lucky enough to, to get the opportunity and moved over to Virginia Mason as a part of that. And now kind of still you know, about half my time is uh, uh, clinical sports medicine. The other half is taking care of some pretty uh, crazy, cool, interesting, fascinating teams. Yeah. That's, that's pretty interesting contrast between like, Hello athletes and then the you know the general population but but still you know fairly related tell, tell us about like kind of what what you do on a daily day basis and and what that looks like and then also you know I think some people are thinking like oh general practitioner but you're kind of in the sports med field what's the difference between you know sports med general practice or how you approach it versus maybe someone's you know general practitioner that they have currently um that doesn't do sports medicine yeah I think the you know, back to what you said before, I do think there's a lot of overlap and it's something that you know, from my practice and just my professional life in general, I, I try and hold on to and, and keep in mind is that I'm, I really want to take care of people and help them achieve the particular physical activity goals that they have. And, you know, sometimes that's, uh, in, you know, the highest possible level of hockey <laughs> and Stanley winning Stanley cups as a team and that kind of thing. And other times that's, you know, pickleball tomorrow uh tomorrow night or you know whatever a, a, a walk that you just haven't gotten to, to do with your friends lately and so the i think there's a ton of overlap there and it's how do we approach this what what are the things that you what are your goals what do you want to do what's preventing you from getting there and what tools do we have available to us to, to help you get there and you know the stakes are different the dynamics are different but you know ultimately it it comes down to that to me for almost uh anything i do professionally um and so the uh uh, tell me that I think that now I'm missing the second part of what your question was. Kind of what your, what your day-to-day uh, looks like, like, you know, are you, you know, you mentioned some of the, some of the stuff and I want to go into a little bit of detail of like, you know, we talked about, you, you kind of mentioned orthobiologics and some of the treatment of, of those athletes, but uh, kind of just describe what, what your day-to-day looks like, what you're doing. And, and especially with the activities with the team, like what you're responsible for, for the Mariners and the Kraken. Yeah, the so my I guess as I said before, my day to day is kind of divided in half ish. When I'm in clinic, I see um, essentially anything non-operative orthopedic. So I was in clinic this morning. Um, I saw a nine year old with a we were worried had broken her foot. I saw somebody high school football player who had dislocated his shoulder. Uh, I saw somebody with a concussion. I saw couple people with uh, were kind of ongoing management of their arthritis. Um, somebody with some nerve pain in there. Uh, uh, upper back that we're doing some nerve treatments or trying to kind of figure that out. So I see a pretty broad range of um, problems, ages, uh, activity levels, all that kind of stuff. So again, that that's a little bit of the family medicine in me, I think, where just I, I try to stay as broad as I can, particularly in my clinic, just to um, keep my keep the doors open to whomever wants to come in and, and, and get helped out and is motivated to work and get better and, and kind of put these puzzles together and figure out what we want to do. So that um, that's the scope. I, you know, I do everything as you kind of mentioned before from 
first visit. I just got hurt. What's going on? We don't know what's going on. Or we're, we're going to try and put this all together to a little more, I guess, you know, secondary tertiary care type of stuff where something's been going on a long time, uh, chronic tendon problems, joint problems, nerve problems. Uh, and we employ some of the, uh, some of the more advanced treatments for those. I think the, the big ones that I do, uh, PRP certainly for, um, you know, management of pain and function and arthritis and also chronic tendinopathies, uh, 10X we do for, um, tendinopathies too, which is a percutaneous needle tenotomy where we kind of clear out the tendon, uh, through the skin and use that to help as a, as a treatment for chronic tendinopathies. I've been doing a fair amount of nerve hydrodissection too. So if we think peripheral nerve is involved in uh, some of the problems that are going on around anything really, uh, we'll inject those, uh, uh, distend around them and see if we can get some, uh, peripheral nerve release types of things. Um, so those are kind of some of the, I guess, more tertiary type of treatments that we'll do. And again, that sometimes that evolves from me seeing a person the first time. And we, we go through that process to people, uh, high def and others sending me, sending me folks like, we're just not getting this better. What other options do we have? Um, so that's a, I guess, a, you know, a big, or the, the day-to-day of my clinical life, the team side of it is, is, different and highly variable. I mean, in the, in the, particularly in the age of phones and zooms and all that kind of stuff, I get texted a lot and um, visit the training room. I tend to, depending on, you know, where a team is like in season. So Mariners obviously are in the heat of a playoff run right now. So we spend a fair amount of time troubleshooting, trying to refine plans and deal with anything that comes up. Again, sometimes that's phone calls and texts. Other times that's uh, things around game time in during games, that kind of thing. Uh, cracking or just getting back training camp starts next week. So we're in the wow. process of just seeing guys again, they're coming to town, what happened over the off season, what went on at the end of last season, other things we need to clean up, make sure you're kind of completely ready and as healthy as we can possibly get you for training camp. So, um, it shifts a lot depending on day of the week, uh, time of the season, that kind of thing. But, I I try and be, uh, pretty present and available to, uh, team staff, families, all that kind of stuff as part of my role, uh, as the primary care. Uh, both the primary care and then the primary care sports medicine doc for, for both of those teams. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, you, you mentioned some of the treatments and I think that uh, people probably aren't super aware of, it seems like it's newer, right? Like PRP and and the 10 X. Can you talk about PRP a little bit more um, what you're doing with it, the results you've seen and, you know, who may be a, a good candidate. For, and then, and that. then maybe also contrast that with the 10 X treatment and kind of when you would utilize each, each different type of, of treatment. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. It's an, it, they're, they're both really interesting topics that, you know, we can, they're, you know, like in literal week long conferences about all <laughs> of them, right? <laughs> yeah. Who, who should do what and when and where. Yeah. Uh, the, I don't want to put you on any like divides uh, here. I don't want to pitch you up against your community. No, I thought down into 30 seconds. Yeah. It's in the Cliff's notes version, right? Yeah. Um, the PRP platelet rich plasma, we uh, draw your blood and we, um, through some type of centrifuge process, we isolate just the platelet fraction out of your blood. Platelet fractions are the, and they often describes like the healing response part of our, uh, our, 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 our bloods, the type of cell it does. So the thing that comes to sites of injury uh, opens up, releases growth factors, hormones that kind of stimulate a healing response. So the intent of it is we take just those platelets and we inject those back into some place that's uh, chronically injured. And in uh, the two biggest places that we inject them, or the two primary places that we inject them are into tendons and into joints. 
a little bit of a different pathway to kind of think about for both of them in, in tendons, the intent and our hope is that they're regenerative or that they kind of trigger a new healing response there, lead to some better uh, cross-linking in these areas that just do not have tendons kind of classically don't have great blood flow. And so their healing response or the ability for them to heal, particularly over a longer, over when they come become a chronic issue is, is limited. And so our hope is that by injecting those back in, that we stimulate that response and get it and get a, a healed tendon that then we're able to load and build and, and kind of get out of the negative spin cycle of the of the more chronic tendon problems. Um, in arthritis, they tend to be in joints, I guess I should say, uh, which is most commonly arthritis. It's more of a pain and function thing, not really a regenerative thing. We don't have things that can you know, reverse all of the different processes that are happening in an arthritic joint, um, but just kind of changing the environment, shifting the environment to a, a you know, a, a better metabolic pathway in the joint to get people feeling better and doing and doing more and, and all the benefits that come along with that. So that's the thing about PRP. I mean, I, I tend to take a pretty in-depth, I have a pretty in-depth conversation with people about PRP or any of these treatments that are uh, kind of particularly chronic tendinopathies and just understanding we don't know a lot about it. You know, we don't, there's some of the, there's tons of variables. Like, do you have white blood cells in your PRP or not? What platelet concentration do you want? How many platelets do you want to put in and what volume do you want to put them in? And there's a ton of science and research that's happening to try and refine that. And we don't, have the best understanding of that yet, um, especially in terms of which tendon, uh, how old are you, how long has that been going on, what's your activity level, what kind of load are you going to put through it. So I try and take people through that and have it be as eyes wide open as possible of kind of, this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing it, these are the uh, pros and cons, the certainty and the uncertainty around it, and um, and just know that and know it's a, a process that we're going to have to go through together and and certainly uh with the other members of their healthcare team particularly on the rehab side to say all right can we get this flipped over and then do the work that that we hope can really help heal this thing over a longer period of time uh 10x is a similar you know kind of uh thought process i guess where we're kind of intervening on a tendon to try and get it to out of this you know, kind of chronically uh, degenerative and worn down type of phase into a better, into a better place. Rather than putting something in, you know, 10X is kind of fundamentally taking things out. So we make a small incision in the skin and then put a needle into the tendon that's hooked up to an ultrasound driven, essentially washing machine that pulses a little fluid in and then sucks uh, the fluid and, and tissue back out. So the idea is really to kind of clear out, you know, functionally what ends up it's a lot of times like a scar in a tendon. Um, so we get rid of that you know, disease tendon and we injure the tendon again, right? So we, now we have this you know, new injury kind of model that can then, or the hope is progress along a, a, a healthy path or a healing pathway without that scarred tissue kind of preventing the healing from happening. Um, the question of when do you do which is, is a fascinating one and also uh, much debated. Um, there's a better and better evidence than progression in my personal practice and some might do that that for for tendon issues the 10x tends to be a, a more successful treatment um just based on the data that's out there again there's a lot of variabilities in there and we may, I may eat these words two years from now and you're like oh no if we get to this platelet concentration that's what we want and we go for it the two the one that is very clear to me um from my practice experience at least is that when people have kind of a, a, a calcific um 
piece of their tendon. This gets a little into the woods of exactly what you're seeing. But if people come in and you say you've got a calcium depositor, which often comes along with these uh, kind of chronic tendon problems, mm-hmm. uh, 10X to me is, is much more successful when we just I think fundamentally getting that calcium out of there and allowing that healing to kind of come along without the, without the calcium there. That's about as clear of an indication in this world of cloudy indications um, for me to say like that this is the, that's the one we should kind of go down and go pathway wise outside of that. Again, I think it's experience, it's age, it's uh, activity levels. It's kind of, what have you tried and done before cost is a big issue for these two. I mean, as, as you know, most of these regenerative treatments uh, are not covered by insurance. So uh, come with some significant costs. 10 X is one that uh, often we can work with insurance a lot more on. So that tends to be a, a more attractive and viable option uh, in that context as well. Yeah. That's a great way to explain it. Like, you know, cause a lot of people, you know, don't understand the fact that you're kind of creating, I like how you said you create a new injury, but actually that's like just giving it another, a second chance basically to heal uh, inside that tendon. And we've seen really good results with our patients that have gotten procedures um, for 10 X for PRP. Um, You know, what I've always been curious and not that there's not a place for surgery, but as a physical therapist, I don't really do obviously surgery and I don't promote that. And I've seen a, a, like the non- surgical orthopedist role expanding and like your guys' tools have really expanded, started to expand to become more popularized as well. What do you see for, for the future of, you know, non-operative man, like orthopedic management of injuries, you know, is it going to take over to, to the point, do you think where you're not going to need as many surgical procedures because you're going to be able to handle it with these things like 10 X or PRP or, or how do you see that, you know, in the future? Yeah, I think that um, I think it just completely depends on the problem. You know, I think there's there's um, I, it's hard for me to imagine a window where uh, orthopedic surgery isn't going to be an important part of our uh, world for athletes and people who are active. But if you kind of I think alluded to or mentioning, there's some issues that surgical interventions and outcomes for just aren't great. And um, tendons are one of them. And I think that the reason that PRP and 10X and, you know, uh, bone marrow aspirate, adipose, some of these other things that we uh, and, and use or trying to use for treatment of uh, chronic tendon problems really stems from the fact that the surgery is tough for these. You know, it's hard to localize the, the actual diseased area of the tendon surgically. Um, recoveries are long. Outcomes are not as good as they are for other problems, you know, a meniscal repair or an ACL or a, a you know, full cuff tear, you know, some of these things that have really good indications surgically, the chronic tendon problems just tend to be harder uh, surgical fix, which again, to me, like, I guess we're, we're in a world of, that explores opportunity, right? And when there's that window, this isn't the greatest, uh, these incomes are, their outcomes are not great. There's not great indications here. What can we fill into that gap? I, I see the primary care orthopedic kind of um, uh, interventional orthobiologic, all those different terms we put on it, continue to expand into that world. It's a problem for people and and limits people and uh, prevents them from doing the activities that they want to do. So I think as long as those windows are available, uh, there's going to be continue to be things that grow into them. I think it's, you know, it, it can be, it can be fraught though too, right? Where it's, you know, there's a lot of uh, things that are, you got to be cautious about what we're advising our patients to to do what is the evidence what's the cost what's the what are our outcomes that were expected because uh the the west can get pretty wild with these things a lot of times i have to be just have to be judicious about what we're doing and 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 trying to be as as um as i guess evidence-based as possible and not in a limited evidence world and and just put a lot of thought behind 
uh, what we're offering our patients and then how we're discussing them with them and what we're promising and being, being yeah. careful to just yeah. be frank and honest with them about it. Yeah. And I mean, that's a, that's a great way to put it too. And, and the good thing about it is, you know, I think there's now options for people that had like something like a chronic tendon, uh, you know, tendinopathy and couldn't get a surgery. And then there really wasn't anything else besides like just taking ibuprofen and, and not using it. And so that's what I've seen. That's cool for a lot of our patients, which is like some people that may have not had any like intervention that was left now has something. And, and I've, like I said, I've seen some people with some pretty chronic tendon issues, get really good resolution of those problems with some of the things that you guys are offering. So um, that's been really cool to see. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, that's the, when people, we have conversations and good and honest and open conversations with people saying, well, what's the, especially colleagues or people, even I think probably even in other medical specialties of, well, where's the evidence for that? Or should you do that without that evidence? And, uh, or, you know, really fundamental. And I think that's a, a whole other debate that we can get into about the different things that we do with and without evidence. But uh, what I say to them, and I try to say the same thing to my patients is exactly what you're saying. Like when we're out of options and somebody's still, or, you know, these, these things that we've tried or that are, uh, more traditional or more rooted, we have it. And this is an option. And, you know, I think as long as we're frank and honest about what we know and what we don't know and what the pros and cons of them are, it is an option to try. And as you said, people do get better with them. And it's on us to continue to study outcomes and try and optimize it the best way possible. But, and that's, that's the window to me is if we're not getting better, there's not a, another great option outside of this. You know, that's when I kind of really put it on the table for people. And again, just be very, want and honest about what we know and what we don't know. And then we, you know, you, you should share decision-making to figure out if that's the right uh, step for them or not. Well, I think, you know, at least from the people that we've had that have seen you, I think that, you know, that's the feedback too, is, you know, they, they trust your opinion just because you do put it out on the table. So, you know, we appreciate that from you as well. Um, last question, just a little fun one too, because this is something that I've been curious on. Um, and I bet a lot of people are curious, you know, starting with the crack in the first year, last year, was you know was their first year in existence what's it like to to start with a team a new pro team from scratch um and and you know be with them for that first year the the most fun and the most chaotic possible right (laughs) everything was new uh everybody's new to everybody's new to town um i think it was like this is a little flipping up an answer but there's a piece of this answer but there's you know it seemed like there's a lot for a lot of people involved with the team there's kind of a, a divide of hockey new to seattle or seattle new to hockey right mm-hmm. we're just the as, as you guys know and people around seattle know that the hockey culture here was not well developed and man to watch it go like crazy now is just it's so cool it's a, another opportunity for people another pro team and then that trickled down to the junior leagues and that kind of stuff so it was interesting to kind of blend that of people like i was relatively new to hockey um and then talking to a lot of the guys come to town and played hockey their whole life but what's Seattle like and what's our medical care like here and what do we have available to us? And that was really interesting meshing. And then just, you know, everything as it, as it came up each time, it's like a thousand things a day. How do we work through this both as an organization and on an interpersonal level and in our community and um, a lot of frustration, really a ton of fun people involved in it could not have been better, more welcoming to me. Um, uh, than they were. And uh, yeah, it was just a, a really fascinating experience. You put COVID, I mean, that was, you know, I think, I think people we kind of forget too, is that that was yeah. uh, you know, COVID restrictions are largely gone now in that world or this world, but the, um, we were dealing with a ton of them then and testing and 
ins and outs of all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the, on the medical side of things, especially the, you know, uh, our training staff having to deal with, with that, I, they did a, just an incredible amount of work as all of them have through this whole process to, to keep things going and keep people playing and try and, uh, keep people educated and healthy as much as they can. So, yeah, I guess, uh, really fun chaos, I guess maybe is the right way to. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I can't even imagine like, you know, you do forget about the COVID testing. We only had to deal with it a little bit on the back end for us. We helped out the Seahawks with some of their stuff when the guys couldn't get, you know, there's a lot of rules, people coming in, they couldn't, if they left, they couldn't come in for a couple of weeks. So yeah. man, that, yeah, that's, that's definitely chaotic. And then all the, all the NHL rules, you know, built around that too. And, and you trying to manage people who are, you know, getting sick or possibly exposed. I, yeah. I can imagine that'd be a tough on top of creating a whole new system and medical system and trying to, That's trying right. trying to get to learn. But, you know, Mitch and I went to one of the games. It was absolutely electric in the yeah. building, which has got to be fun. Are you down on the ice in the, in the box? Or are you, are you going to most of the games or, or yeah, how does that work? Yeah, for you? you have to pretty, by NHL rules, you have to have a pretty robust medical staff there just from the, the trauma uh, potential and just the issues that can come up. So we're lucky enough. We sit our, our doctor group at least sits a second row back from the ice. So oh, fun. pretty good view and pretty sweet. <laughs> Um, yeah, that place is awesome. I mean, the key arena as a, as a Seattleite uh, key arena to um, uh, climate pleasure arena. It was a pretty wild uh, step. It's incredible in there. And, and yeah, the fans bring it, man, even, even on tougher nights um, it's, it's pretty fun to be there and, and to see, see the whole uh, city rally around them and, and build that uh, crack and support groups. And, and we've, we've never been up North to the facility that you're at now, the, the practice facility, but I hear pretty amazing things about what you guys have going on up there as well. Yeah, it's a fantastic space. I'd certainly encourage, we got to have you guys up for sure. And anybody else, I mean, it's a, it's a great community space, you know, it's kind of divided into, there's three rinks up here. One of them is mostly Kraken based in the Kraken's, um, uh, Locker training, locker room, uh, training room, equipment room, weight room is on one floor. All their uh, administrative staff is on the floor above it. And that's around kind of one of the rinks. And then there's a great bar and grill, 32 bar and grill that uh, is largely kind of in the middle of that second rink. And then we're the area, clinic. The whole area is going to blow it's up. Like I've, I've I mean, seen that, the pictures. Yeah, that's another piece. Like if you're a Seattleite like me, like I always tell people, I'm. I think I'm sitting in Nordstrom's right now. I like think the <laughs> and every, but everything's gone. Like it's totally, uh, totally turned over. So yeah, we have a great uh, Virginia Mason Clinic here, Starbucks team store, uh, big open community spaces that we're gonna they have done, and we're gonna continue to to help promote um, some cool events. And so yeah, it's a great place to come up, get a coffee, have something to drink and eat, and watch some hockey, bring your families up for open skates and stuff. It's a pretty sweet place. And then, yeah, everything around it is going crazy, too. There's going to be more restaurants, more living, more shopping, all that kind of stuff. It's a cool spot. That's awesome. That's for awesome. Sure. For sure. Yeah, well, Dr. Pelto, um, ending this, is there anything that you want more people to know about about your practice? Maybe, like, shout out where you're at, how they can get a hold of you, um, anything like that? Yeah, um, Brim, just I think arcing back, like if you're out there and you're struggling with something uh, medically that we can help with, I'd love to see see and see how we can help you through it. Come one, come all, ages, problems, anything like that. I practice uh, pretty much pretty exclusively up at the, uh, through Virginia Mason, and we're up at the uh, Kraken uh, Community Iceplex up here, just on the south end of it. Um, it was great, uh, small but awesome clinic with physical therapy, uh ultrasound, x-ray, fantastic primary care doctor named Amy Portacci is up here with me too. So we have a great clinic here. Love to see people if they want to come up. Uh, our clinic number, if anyone wants to give us a call is 
206-341-3000. And then people can, I'm happy to have people email me too. My my name is henry.pelto at vmfh.org. So if you're out there and I can help you with anything, uh, give us a call, shoot me a note. I'm happy to help any way we can work a lot with these high def guys. It's an awesome relationship and really appreciate them. And uh, yeah, just happy to help if I can. Thank you. And we'll, we'll link up all that in the show notes. Uh, so it'll be on the podcast, Spotify, and then it'll be on all the posts. So uh, we'll get it out there as well. We appreciate you taking the time to stop by. We know you're busy with uh, a couple of teams lot, and uh, all, your whole practice. So we appreciate your time and, and thanks for coming on. Happy to do it guys. Good to see you. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Yes,